Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You guys are hypocrites is basically what God is telling his people. You're hypocrites. Like you swear to me, but then you swear to these other false gods. Okay, which are not. Yes, they are false gods, but please understand behind every false god, there's like a demon that is connected to these things. Okay, so God's just saying like, wait, you're making all these promises and swearing to me, but yet you're also swearing to these demonic things that are totally contrary to me. Have you ever had someone call you out on your hypocrisy? Maybe a trusted friend that confronted you on something you said you wouldn't be doing. There was times that Jesus would call out the religious leaders and Pharisees on their hypocrisy. Long before Jesus did that, the Lord would call out the Israelites all the time. In today's message, Pastor James is going to share about hypocrisy and why we should take the Lord seriously and avoid idolatry. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Zephaniah chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Okay, so Zephaniah. Zephaniah is a fascinating, fascinating character. He probably tells us more about himself than most of the other minor prophets, all right? So you got Zephaniah, which there's a couple of different thoughts on what his name means. I like, I'm a term guy. I like, I like terms. I like knowing what they mean, especially if it's a Hebrew or a Greek. I can study all day long on just learning definitions of what words mean, and names especially. Zephaniah could be... Jehovah treasures or treasured by Jehovah, but it also could mean that Jehovah has hidden. So you got treasure and then hidden, and they, they kind of go together and all that. Essentially, what his name means is that he's loved by God. We can say that. <laughs> and so if his parents named him that because it's like, well, they thought he was a treasure, then sweet. Or if they thought like he is preserved or hidden in Jehovah or by Jehovah, then amen to that. Both are probably true and apply. And understanding what his name is in the Hebrew is not a make or break deal, okay? It's not like, uh, you're not going to, you know, go to the pearly gate, and then Peter's going to be like, pop quiz, what does Zephaniah mean? And then your eternal existence just hinges on that one thing. You're like, I don't know, James didn't know. No worries about that. It's a beautiful name. I think it's just a beautiful name. Even in English, Zephaniah is just a really cool name. But in the Hebrew, it's pretty beautiful too, because it means... I mean, Jehovah, God, he is, he's in control and he has things he has treasured and he has things that he, if he needs to keep them hidden, he's going to keep them hidden. So protected and all that. So it's kind of cool. But the fascinating thing about Zephaniah is that he's the great, great grandson of King Hezekiah. So he's royalty. All right. He's royalty. And he is the prophet on the scene, kind of a contemporary of Jeremiah for sure. But his cousin is King Josiah, okay? So King Josiah is the one who led a, I don't know if you can technically call it a revival, all right? So when Josiah was a king and he comes from after, you know, you got Hezekiah was good and then there's two kings that came after him and they were, they were bad, they were wicked. And then Josiah is made king and he like tearing down these places of idolatry and all that and they find the word of God, and then they're like, this, 
seemingly revival breaks out. But the problem is, is that it looks like, if you look at the history, that it was more of a surface thing than a heart thing. Because they get led off to captivity 20 years later. So Zephaniah is a prophet when his cousin is, is the ruling king. And more than likely, this prophecy is proclaimed or announced during like the either beginning or the mid part of King Josiah's reign. Okay? But we know 20 years later, about 20 years later, the Babylonians are going to show up and they're going to take, take all these guys captive. They're going to take them captive, okay? So the main theme of Zephaniah will be the day of the Lord, which historically would be the invasion of Babylon in 606 BC. But then prophetically, it's also the future day of wrath in the end times. You hear commonly the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. It's the Lord's return. It's the, the tribulation times. I mean, it's, it's all of that can fit under that umbrella. But that's a key theme throughout Zephaniah, all right? So Verse 1 of chapter 1 says, The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, that's the king, King Hezekiah that you would probably be most familiar with, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. Okay, so he beautifully frames out, this is when God is using me. All right, so he gets right into it, verse 2. Like, that's like, he's like, hey, here I am, this is who I am, here's my family, bada bing, bada boom, now let's get to judgment, right? He's just like right off the bat, like verse two, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. Like that's how he begins his message. If that's how I began my preaching, there certainly wouldn't be more people showing up, I don't think, right? Like nobody's like showing up for these kind of messages. This also may not have been all that popular back then as well. Jeremiah was delivering similar messages, and it got him arrested and almost murdered on a few occasions. But here he is. He's like, Zephaniah's like, hey, he gives us more than most other guys because he's like, this is my family tree, and that's all I'm saying about myself. I got something I need to tell you. I don't show up, you know, because I want to say something. I show up because I have to say something. That's a prophet. That's the role of a prophet, okay? I will utterly consume everything from the face of land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. If you're a Bible underliner, circler, and all that good stuff, you can note the I will statements from God. There's probably about 25 throughout this whole letter. It's just God saying, I'm going to do this. 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 Okay. So he's letting them know. Verse four, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous priest with the pagan priest, those who worship the hosts of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom, which would be like a foreign God or What's it? Shemarium is another way of saying that. Those who have turned their back from following the Lord or who have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. So you pause there, okay? So there's the Lord throwing out the like, the gauntlet. Here it is. I'm upset. You guys are, you guys are hypocrites is basically what God is telling his people. You're hypocrites. Like you swear to me, but then you swear to these other false gods. 
okay, which are not, yes, they are false gods, but please understand behind every false god, there's like a demon that is connected to these things, okay? So God's just saying like, wait, you're making all these promises and swearing to me, but yet you're also swearing to these demonic things that are totally contrary to me. And God says, I'm going to cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The term cut off means to obliterate the memory of. I'm just going to completely obliterate Baal. And again, I will always remind us as we're going through these books, what is so fascinating is that 70 years spent in captivity seem to solve Israel's idolatry problem. Because when they come back into the land, they're not worshiping Baal, although yes, he still does exist to this day. Asherah and all those, Moloch, all those false gods, they are still present today, okay? But for Israel, a lot of their issues and the, the idolatrous practices and all that, they spent time in Babylon. When they came back, this wasn't such a stumbling block for them anymore. The problem is that they went from license to like legalism. They swung from one direction to the other. And it was like, now that their God, quote unquote, became their religion, it's still not good. And then they missed Jesus the whole way, right? So yeah, don't bow down to false gods and idols and all that stuff. Don't do that. Also, don't jump over onto the legalism side of things, okay? Like, just Jesus. Just Jesus. That's good enough, okay? It's more than good enough. Verse 7, he goes on, be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord, there's our, our key term there, is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guests, and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children." and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. I will remind us of this. The day of the Lord is at hand, and when Zephaniah is probably when he is proclaiming this message from God to the people, they still had about 20 years until it was fulfilled. But yet he saw it as like not a distant thing at all, but 20 years, he's like, the day of the Lord's at hand. I mean, it might be 20 years from now, but it's at hand. This is a good reminder for you and I living in the last days because we are living in the last days. When is Jesus? Jesus could come back in 20 years. But the day of the Lord is at, is at hand for us today. And we should live and function like Zephaniah was trying to convince these people that he loved so much to like live your life in such a way where you're constantly looking up. You're anticipating the return of the Lord. Don't sell all your stuff and don't, you know, quit your job and go like set up camp inside of a, you know, up in a tree. So like maybe you're the first one up, you know, when you get raptured. That doesn't work that way, by the way. Paul had to address this with the church at Thessalonica. They were quitting their jobs because they're like, oh, Jesus is coming back. They took it literally like, oh, he's coming back. So I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to run up all my debt and all that stuff because it doesn't matter. I'm going to heaven. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Yes, we, and this was Paul like 2,000 years ago. Yes, we are living in the last days. But we need to live wisely and as if he can either come back this moment or he can come back 100 years from now. It does not matter. We need to live each and every moment of the day as if he could come back 
at any second. Okay? So, but this is this terminology here. The day of the Lord is at hand. And God is going to show up and he's going to correct the things that need to be corrected. Verse 9, it says, in the same way, I'll punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit, a common accusation from God concerning his people. Violence was out of hand. Deceit was out of hand. Bribes were like crazy. I mean, their bribery was going around like, like crazy, and the rich were oppressing the poor and taking advantage of the poor, stealing their land and property, and God is not having it. He says, and there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you inhabitants of Maktesh, and for all the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish men who are settled. This is, I'll define this term in a second, but who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. God's like, okay, we're playing a game of hide and seek. Guess who loses? You do. (laughs) You do. Verse 13, let me just finish this up before we jump into 14 through 18, the last little section there. But it says, verse 13, it's therefore, because of what was just stated, their goods shall become booty, right? Ah, that's a, yeah, there you go. New King James. Man, if this was youth group, I'd be, I would have lost every single one of you, and I probably just did, uh, because I won't move on. Okay, there we go. And their houses, a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. All right, so this term settled. So what what was happening within Jerusalem is individuals had become basically just stagnant, stagnant. And the term settle means idle or stagnant, or another phrase for it is muddy-minded, not clear thinkers. They were suffering from godless indifference. God's not going to do good, nor is God going to do bad, Right? You know what's fascinating about this mindset is if you go over to Israel right now, this kind of mindset is there with a lot of the population. Because you can talk to, and we've you know, gone, gone a few times, went you know, street witnessing Tel Aviv and, well, Jerusalem as much as you can, but for sure Tel Aviv and some of the surrounding towns. And you talk to some of the younger generation, and they're like, they're kind of more like, yeah, we kind of, we believe God exists, but he's not at all interested in our lives. He's not going to do good and he's not going to do bad. He might exist, but he is distant. He's distant. That mindset is very prevalent today in Israel. That mindset is very prevalent today throughout the world. This mindset is kind of prevalent in the church today. I mean, half of us are like, I think God hates me. Other half are like, I don't know if he even cares about me, to be quite honest with you. And then there's this loving God who cares so deeply about us, and his love for us is so absolutely perfect. He's like, why am I the one getting the bad rap here? I've done everything for you. Like I've done, well, but God, you've got to answer this specific prayer. And he's like, well, maybe I am answering that specific prayer by just saying, wait. 
I don't like that answer. Well, okay, I would, if this was me and my kids, I'd be like, well, tough, tough. I'm sorry you don't like that answer, but maybe that's what's best for you. Or maybe the no is what's best for us. I mean, God doesn't have to answer in the affirmative, right? He doesn't have to answer every prayer you pray with a yes. That's not how this thing works. And some of the best prayers, the best things, right, are that country song. I don't know who sings it, but Garth Brooks, I think. Unanswered prayers. It's like, okay. But the Lord's like, but I'm not indifferent. I'm not like absent. I'm present with you. I'm so present that I showed up on that planet I created that you guys destroyed by introducing sin into the equation, by listening to the enemy. The only thing the enemy did back then, and it's still his main target, his main weapon of choice is questioning God's word. Did God really say? And God's like, I'm the one that came on the rescue mission for you. I'm the one who's preparing a place for you to spend eternity with me. I'm the one who intercedes on behalf of you every single moment of every single day. I'm the one who gives you your daily bread. I'm the one who clothes you. I'm the one who gives you shelter. I'm the one who loves you unconditionally. God is not absent. We have to be careful that we we don't fall into this trap of like, he's not going to do good, nor is he going to do evil. He kind of, he exists, but he's way out there. No, no, no. He's very near, even when I don't feel him. Verse 14, he goes back into this. this, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against their high towers. Concerning this day, for these guys, this came true. And again, within 20 years, it came true. This is also like a a future thing. There's a dual prophecy element to this where it is like it's an immediate thing for them, although it was a near, you know, kind of thing for them. But for us, it's like the day of the Lord. And when it happens, when it, when it goes down, this description is an apt description for what that'll be like. And I don't care what your theological view is on end times, eschatology, if you want the fancy word, of like pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all that stuff. Just be found in Jesus, okay? Because let's say us pre-tribbers, which I am one, got it wrong, and we're, it's a post-trib thing. And it's like, I got to go through the tribulation. Are you kidding me? You know what? You'll be fine because you'll be in Christ. You'll be in him. He always knows how to preserve a remnant. He does that better than anybody else. Okay? The thing, the key to this whole thing for them, but then also fast forward, you know, several thousand years to where we're at today is you don't want to be the person who's caught off guard when the day happens, when it goes down. This description of this day is not a good one. It's not one that we're like, oh, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, I could use some wrath, just trouble, distress, devastation, desolation, darkness, gloominess. 
day of clouds and thick darkness and trumpets with always significant of like wartime, sound the alarm. Like, we don't want that, right? It's just better to be like, okay, Lord, I don't know how the end times are going to go down. I have my ideas, but it doesn't matter. I just want to be found in you. Like, I just, I just want to be found in you. I can go through anything this life throws at me. And this is a very dangerous statement I'm making, okay? As long as I am in Christ. Now, that is easier said than done, okay? So please understand that I'm not like here, like, well, I can face anything. There have been many things in my life where it's like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not. And there will probably be other things in my life where you get tested on that. But if we can take a step back, Romans chapter 8, man, if I'm in Christ, ultimately, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. So this is a good warning for them. It's a good reminder for us too. But the Lord's like, I'm going to show up. Here's what's coming with me. Verse 17, he says, I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men, blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. So there's a reason for it. He's not just being mean. There's a cause and effect here. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. So the Lord, our Lord God, is a jealous God. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. And we've heard this accusation. You probably have if, if you know somebody who doesn't know the Lord and they're like, wait a minute, the Bible says God's a jealous God and jealousy is a sin. And you're like, no, nah, that's not technically true. Okay. Yeah. What, what are you talking about when you say jealousy? Or are you talking about like, because you were a crazy person in your relationship and like, like that kind of thing, like that possessive, like, because that's not just jealousy. I mean, that's also like covetousness. And there's all sorts of stuff that go with that. But no, if, if God is jealous for us, not, he's never jealous of us. He's jealous for us. That's not a bad thing. You want God to be jealous for you. That means that he wants your time. He wants your attention. He wants your affection. It's a beautiful thing. And he wanted that with Israel. And Israel turned their back on God. So because they entered in a covenantal agreement with God and they didn't honor their part, God has to be true to his word and says, if you disobey this, then I will bring enemies into the land to take you captive. Now, so this first chapter was all about like Israel though, and I'm specifically Judah, okay? The next chapter, chapter two, is all about the enemies that are surrounding Israel. Because yes, God can use whoever he wants to use, but it doesn't mean they're off the hook for their own sins. So chapter two, it's all, he's going to list out different nations, okay? This is a message to the Gentiles, which Isaiah chapter 14 through 20 had a similar kind of message. Jeremiah chapter 46 through 49, a similar type thing. And for us, we've already gone through this, but Amos 1 and 2, this was God letting the nations know, hey, don't celebrate Israel's downfall. You should never celebrate the downfall or the, the correction of somebody else. Hopeless, hopeless, red for 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken in a series that you just don't want to miss. Pastor James Grizzle has been walking through the messages that God gave to the prophets in the times that Judah and Israel were not only holding God at arm's length, but also suffering under oppression. It doesn't sound too different than when I let my own selfishness drive my decisions. Am I alone in that? What's amazing to me is that God's love for His children isn't conditional. I love that it's not dependent on what I do or what I don't do, but He does desire an authentic relationship with you and me, a friendship that isn't second best. I urge you to not replace him with the things of this world that eventually fade away. Will you join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday night at 7 p.m. to hear more of God's Word? For those of you that can't make it in person, don't worry. We live stream all of our services just for you. So find us on Facebook today. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that and a laid-back atmosphere, then you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, look around a little. You'll find our location, a bunch of archived messages, and a place to give to the ministry. We'd love to have you partner with us as we praise the mighty name of the Lord Jesus together. And with that, we're coming to the end of our time together today. We're so glad you decided to spend your day with us here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.